Welcome to Beyond the Rig. Today we're chatting with Brian Davis. He's a former driver, owner-operator, and currently a shop foreman. He's going to talk to us about some advice on making money in the truck, how to advance your career, and making that transition from the truck into the shop. Now let's get trucking. This is Beyond the Rig. Brian, welcome to Beyond the Rig. We're glad you're here today. I'm glad you guys had me today, Brett. Thank you. Hopefully, the conversations that we have are something that's pertinent to our audience. I'm sure it will be. We know how great you were in the truck. We've heard how great you might be in the shops, so you'll have to elaborate a little bit on that. But let's start off by getting to know you a little bit. Let's let our listeners know where you're from, where you grew up, stuff like that. Maybe what influenced you to get into trucking or transportation along the way, and We'll just take it from there. Yeah, thank you, Brett. So I'm from Ohio, uh, born and raised in Piqua, moved to Chattanooga, Tennessee, spent most of my life there up till middle school and then branched out into East Tennessee, uh, graduated from high school there before going into the military. Some of the things that kind of got me into trucking. Oh, Brian, Brian, slow down. Let me t- let me ask you a question. Yeah, go ahead. You said when I and then I went into the military. You got to tell us what branch of military you in. You can't just, you can't just glaze over. I was in the military, so I, I did six years active duty in the army and then went into the National Guard. That's awesome, man. Thank you. Did you have to do any tours? Yes, I did two tours in Iraq and then a couple humanitarian tours. Hey, brother, that's that's the real deal. Thanks again, man. Oh, definitely appreciate it. All right. Continue. <laughs> no problem. So, like I was saying, um, one of the things that kind of got me into trucking is I grew up with it my whole life. So, my grandfather was a truck driver. My grandmother actually drove a truck as well. They were both owner operators. Really? Your grandmother did? Yep, my okay. grandmother did. And then my dad started driving a truck at a young age just because family influence kind of sure. following into the business and Eventually, it just kind of led me to it. I didn't really have intentions of going into trucking, but it's just kind of how I found it falling out once I got out of the military. Okay. So would you say that it's in the family blood? So what they say is trucking's in your blood. That's pretty accurate. Most definitely. Because your grandmother, (laughs) I'm guessing uh, if it's your grandmother that that was also a driver, that had to be a little bit ago, and that was probably back when... You saw very, very few females on the road. Exactly. I remember riding with her when I was younger, and people would always be making comments at the truck stops to her because, like you said, it's something that you didn't really see as commonly back then. Nowadays, you go into a truck stop or even around our terminals, it's not uncommon to see female drivers. Sure. So she probably could hold her own. Oh, most definitely. She she was stout. (laughs) That's awesome. Well, I bet she would be fun and have a lot of cool stories that we can talk to her. Exactly. Well, when did you, uh, okay, so we know kind of the history, the bloodline, what kind of got you interested. When did you actually start getting into it? And and was that just right into driving and and kind of go through that? Was it out of the military and boom? Yeah, so I I did some driving to an extent when I was in the military And we would do a lot of base-to-base transfers of vehicles, things like that. And that's when it really kind of hit me like, hey, I actually kind of enjoy this. So So do you get your CDL then while in the Army? There is a program to where you can get your CDL when you come off of active duty if you have a military driver's license of an equivalent-style vehicle. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. So the military then, they just kind of say, hey, we need this. And, oh, by the way, Brian, we want you to do it. Or did you have to express interest 
And then they say, okay, you're, it's it's yours. It's, it's pretty much do what you're told as you're yeah. told. You, you don't get a whole lot of uh, choice. <laughs> it, it's kind of like grade school, right? You're exactly. going to do this. It doesn't really matter. You get the paddle. Yep. Well, it was back <laughs> in my day. You younger bucks, you don't have to worry about the paddle. But, yeah, we're not going to get into that. Right. But continue, please, Brian. <laughs> yeah. So once I was transitioning off of active duty, I realized, hey, you know, I need to get into some sort of career field that I can grow sure. in. And seeing how my family was able to do it, start their own company, have their own trucks, it was a easier transition for me because I had a lot of the background knowledge. And then doing it firsthand in the military made it easier. So I started looking around at different companies, and I was living in Tennessee at the time. So I was looking at different options that had CDL programs, things like that, and ended up landing on a company called RE West out of Ashland City, Tennessee. They're a little small mom and pop company, about 150 trucks. They do their own CDL training and everything. Absolutely loved that company. They were great to me. And that kind of kicked it off all from there. So what happened then with your time with, with, did you say Ashland Trucking? Uh, RE West out of Ashland City. Oh, Ashland City. I was way off. (laughs) It was like the movie Dumb and Dumber, right? Samsonite. I was way off. (laughs) All right. So RH West. Uh, RE West. Okay, come on, E-H, whatever, R-E West, <laughs> small mom and pop, how long did you spend there, and what happened? What made you leave? Kind so of give us that. I spent about six to eight months there with them, Okay, and the only real reason that I left them was there wasn't a whole lot of growth opportunities. They are a company-only carrier, so they don't have owner-operators, lease operators, anything of that nature. And I knew eventually I wanted to get to that point. So throughout meeting other drivers, I met a guy one time at a truck stop that had his own company, gave me an opportunity to come out to Arizona and drive for him. Uh, That ended up being a cluster. Mm -hmm. But it gave me the opportunity to branch out, learn more, got to learn the dispatching side of it, how to talk to brokers, how to handle accounts, set schedule loads, Things more of that nature, as well as learning a lot more of the maintenance side of the trucking. Okay. So what, um, so then you were out here with him, and then from there, where'd you go? Just So us. from there, I came to Knight. And that's when you ended up at Knight. Okay, yep. gotcha. So what surprised you the most going from the military to transitioning into trucking, and then kind of coming out west? Like, give me, it talks about some of those experiences and where that took you and what shocked you, but what led you to the, to the decisions yeah. that you made. So coming out of the military, going into trucking, I had a lot of insight of what it was going to be, or at least what it used to be. So like I said, I used to ride around with my grandparents, ride around with my dad on the truck, but I didn't fully comprehend how much things had changed throughout the years from the way the trailers handle, the way the trucks handle and the equipment in them, to even the atmosphere of the driver community. Just seeing how much things changed. I remember the first time I walked into a truck stop once I got my CDL and people just kind of staring at you like you don't belong here. Before, I remember being a kid and you walk into a truck stop, there'd be lounges filled with people, everybody talking, watching movies together, just trying to help each other out and have a good time. And it, it seems like a lot of that has disappeared throughout the years. Uh, and that was a huge culture shock to me. That's kind of sad. It, it really is because 
that was one of the things that was always told to me, like, this is a brotherhood in this industry. And it does seem like there are companies out here that still have that brotherhood within their company. But as a whole, it seems to have disappeared a lot. Kind of lost. And the lost art of the old trucker. Right. And that's one of the things that definitely hit me hard was having the older mentality just by being brought up in the older industry. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, there's also a lot of great movies made about truck driving with the old school mentality where it's, where it's just like that. So I, I can remember watching some of those movies and thinking, dude, that's freaking awesome. What better <laughs> way to, to see the country than to just drive? Oh. Now, granted, I didn't get into it because... Well, if, quite frankly, it frightens me to be carrying that that much <laughs> behind you with all of the motorists and how big of idiots they can be, including myself. I'm one of them. But yeah, so that's that's awesome. So you came out west. You ended up driving with Knight. What division were you in? So I drove for Phoenix Reefer, and I, I have to say that was at the time. I can't speak for the current as I am in the shop, but at the time. I have to say, I think we had the best terminal of all time. I mean, Ian really? Paxton is the terminal manager. Bro, timeout. <laughs> timeout. You're going to go as far as to say the best of all time? Especially over Arizona Dry around that time. I mean, I know there's this guy, Brett Stabler. Brian, Brian, Brian's making the terminal some manager. errors here, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> vital errors. I'm just teasing. So, hey, Ian. Ian's a great guy. He's a little bit squirrely. Um, I know he likes... Seattle Seahawks because he's from that area, which makes him a little softer than most people. So maybe, that, maybe that's why you liked him because he's just a soft, kind-hearted, squirrely guy. Hey, well, I mean, just because he has a poor chase in football teams, I mean, you can't really <laughs> help that. I mean, you got to remember, I'm from Ohio State where we've always had a powerhouse. Hey. I mean, just because he doesn't know good football. Well, let me, let me, so are you an Ohio, an Ohio State fan? Most definitely. When were you born? 96. Oh, dude, you're not even going to remember then. That's right. <laughs> So I, I was born and raised in Arizona, all right? Grew up an Arizona State fan. We're not going to talk a lot about them because they suck right now. So I claim to be a, an Alabama fan for everybody that wants to ask me simply because there's nothing they can say if I say I'm an Alabama fan. <laughs> but huge ASU fan. My high school quarterback that I grew up with, this guy ends up going to Ohio State because ASU had just signed Jake Plummer. Mm. They weren't going to have him there. And there's a couple other schools that kind of snubbed him. And so he went and played a year in junior college, set all the junior college records, and ended up at Ohio State. Told everybody else to go pound sand. ASU plays Ohio State in the 19, 1997 Rose Bowl. ASU is undefeated. ASU wins that game. They win the national championship. We're winning almost the entire game. Of course, it decides to rain. If it hadn't have rained, Ohio State would have got blown out of the water. We had a much better team. We're up with like a minute 40 left in the game. In the game, Brian, <laughs> a minute 40. And my old high school quarterback, Joe Germain, waltzes these clowns down the field and hits David Boston in the back of the end zone for the touchdown. And our national championship was flushed down the toilet. I absolutely despise the <laughs> Ohio State. I mean, it's not for everybody, but can't fault him for it. He, he wanted to win. He, he, he made the right choice. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, well, and they did win. And 
played spoiler to the only national championship we would have won because clearly that's not going to happen anytime soon at Arizona State. So for all you listeners out there, I digress. It happens often. You'll get used to it, Brian, but we're not fans of Ohio State. So continue about Phoenix Reefer and the one guy named Ian Paxton that was a legendary service center slash terminal manager for Phoenix Reefer. Yeah, so between him and then at the time I had an awesome DM named Ronnie Chandler. Ronnie's a good dude. And he's the current DDM with Phoenix Reefer. Between the two of them, they went above and beyond to try to help their drivers. I would wake up at 1 a.m. and have dispatches on me showing that Ian had planned me out for the week. I mean, (laughs) you don't see a lot of terminal managers at 1 a.m. dispatching their drivers. No, you don't. But that was just his thing. Him and Ronnie did not like to see their drivers sitting. I mean, they took great care of me, and I hope anybody that's had the chance to work with them would say the same thing. Well, I'll tell you this. I think it's great that you feel that way about that terminal, and I would hope that most driving associates out there, for whoever they work for, feel the same way about the team that they have that dispatch them because that's what makes them great. Exactly. When you have that relationship and you know they don't want me sitting they want me moving constantly, yep. then you're more likely to work harder knowing that, hey, they're going to keep me moving. They're going to make sure that my paycheck is exactly what I need and I don't have to worry about a thing and off I go. Exactly. And trucking's a give and take business. I mean, the company has to make money at the end of the sure. day. But in order for the company to make money, you need to make money. So it's all Spot about on. finding that team that's going to work with you and share that same common goal. Spot on. Now, you were working for Reefer. I don't imagine that that's the only type of freight that you hauled. Talk to us about some of the freight that you've hauled, maybe the more interesting type of freight or crazy things like that. Maybe give us some stories about hauling certain freight that ended up being, I don't know, sketchy or whatever, and you had some weird deals, but <laughs> but it ended up being great. Yeah, most definitely. I, I kind of bounced around a lot. Uh, when I was at RE West, I did heavy haul slash flatbed and Oof. dry van, and we had unique trailers over there. Because we did water heaters. So we actually had drop deck dry vans. Interesting. So you would actually jack it up to be able just to go any dock, anywhere. Or if you had to hand unload them, it's right at the floor. Almost kind of like those moving trailers you might see people loading up. And with the heavy haul side, I've got to haul a lot of interesting things. Lots of different equipment, things of that nature. A lot of military loads I got to do. So that was fun, too, being able to help out with that side, even being back on the civilian side afterwards. And then going from there, when I first moved out here, the company I went to, I started out doing flatbed, just kind of doing your general stuff, bricks, palletized stuff, steel, anything of that nature that you'd think of general commodity-wise doing flatbed. And then he decided he wanted to branch into car hauling. That was a beast all of its own. (laughs) I was the uh, I was his first one to start doing the car hauling, and at the time I'd never done anything like that. The most I'd done was drove maybe two feet off the ground to load an RGN doing heavy haul. So now I'm I'm sitting here having to learn how to back these vehicles from the ground all the way up over the trailer, cross a little platform to get it over the hood of the truck, doing that in rain, snow, sleet, whatever. That makes for a very interesting time. I didn't know that about the uh, the automobile ones. So you guys are the ones that pull them in, too. Yep. Oh we do gosh. everything from start to finish. And, I mean, everybody's going to look at their car 
as their extension, you know, right, you want right. to take care of it. So you have to be so cautious with it because the tiniest little thing that's going to come back on you. You're going to be paying for it. And you just, you want to take overall pride with yeah. anything you do. You know, I mean, if you're picking up somebody's Lamborghini, if you scratch it, you're going to feel pretty bad about it. Did so you ever pick up a Lamborghini. I've never picked up a good Lamborghini. I picked up a wrecked one that was going to auction. Okay. But I've, I've got to haul a lot of other unique stuff, everything from Teslas to classic cars. I've got to haul a lot of unique stuff over That's the years. That's cool. Now, is there extra pay in that? There is. Okay. It, it's I, definitely I, a pay jump from your standard flatbed reefer dry van jobs. But you've got to kind of see, is the risk worth the reward? Because there is a lot of extra stress in it. Gotcha. Okay. Now, I know you looked at trucking as kind of a career path. I know you saw progression and you wanted to get to areas where you could get ultimately be like your family and be kind of the, the master of your domain and owning a truck from reefer. I know you got into training, correct? Correct. So, well, so I started training, uh, at the previous company before night. Okay, So you had been a trainer, right? So when you got to night, I'm only assuming, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, you probably, that's what you wanted to do, but you had to wait that six to nine months or right. whatever the policy is. I got you. So you got into training. What was the what was the thought process in that as far as wanting to be a trainer? So as far as training goes, I was an NCO in the Army. Okay. So training was always kind of a big thing that I was forced into development on. And then as I transitioned into being a drill sergeant in the Army, it really came into play. You were a drill sergeant. I was a drill sergeant at Fort Leonard Wood for a year. Do they give you guys training? They like, I, when I say training, <laughs> I mean like training to where you get in that guy's face, full metal jacket style, and you're screaming at the top of your lungs, and they're just looking at you saying, sir, yes, sir, as your spit and bad breath is just hitting them. So, so you do get training, but not enough to prepare you for that. That's one of the things you have to <laughs> kind of mentally get yourself for. Because when you go through training to be a drill sergeant, they send you back to Fort Jackson, South Carolina. Okay. And you basically go through basic training all over again. Oh, man. The running and everything? Everything. That sucks. And learning how to conduct PRT, which is their physical training regiment. Okay. Learning how to do all the different training from weapons qualifications, everything of that nature. But then over time, you're going to start to develop your own style, what works for you. And then that's going to even change from cycle to cycle. Because not every group of people you train is going to be the same. So, were you a yeller? Uh, I was more of a quiet type. Have they toned it down a little bit with the the basic training from like the 70s and 80s? Most they're definitely. They're just yelling and ripping on you to no end and guys just lose most their minds. Okay. Even over the last few years, it's changed because I have buddies that are still in the army that I talk to frequently. And a lot of them have said that just from the times that where we were at Fort Leonard Wood as drill sergeants to now, it's changed tremendously. Yeah, so I, I can I can imagine. And you got to think, it's adapting over time. It's well, not sure. necessarily becoming easier like a lot of people tend to think. It's just we're in a different environment now. We're no longer at war. We don't have to rush people in, get them ready to go fight. Now we can focus more on training people in their jobs, which will hopefully transition to the civilian side for them. That's probably a better way to do it anyway. And you're right. We evolve all the time. Exactly. So that's just the way life is. Yeah, you should always be striving to learn more. Yeah. Okay. But that's one of those things that kind of got me prepared mentally for training. And 
I realized I enjoyed it. I enjoy helping people. I enjoy seeing people succeed. So it got to the point where when I did come into trucking, my trainer was a 83-year-old man named Mike Brown. And he was full-heartedly in the old-school way of trucking, <laughs> teaching you by that style. And it kind of stuck with me because, like I said, he was the old-school mentality. He wanted to see everyone succeed. He didn't care about the money. Yeah. This man was 83 years old. He could have retired 20-something years sure. prior, but yeah. he wanted to drive and wanted to train. And that's all he ever did. If he was on the road, he had a, tr a student on his truck because he cool. just wanted to see drivers succeed. That's cool. And he kind of instilled that into me, and it helped me a lot because even over time, my trainees always knew if they needed someone to call, they could always reach out to me. It didn't matter if you were on my truck. It didn't matter if you've been driving two years. Don't hesitate. They could reach out to me, and I'd help any way I could. And I just I enjoyed that aspect. Were you able to take some of that old school and meld it in with the new school? Most definitely. Oh, that's cool. Like, for me, I was very firm. No cell phones up front. Cell phone could be in the sleeper. You could use it when you're not moving. Uh, there is no GPSs. I don't believe in GPSs. Really? If you want to do it, get you a road atlas, get you a stack of note cards. You write your directions down, put them on your visor. GPS is one more thing to cause you an issue. Really? Yep. That's fascinating. The old Thomas guide you pulled yep. out? Because okay. if you go, if you do it that way, you're not going to hit low clearances. You're not going to run into truck restricted routes. Because if you're looking at the Atlas, it tells you right there in red, hey, don't take this route. Okay. Whereas a lot of truck GPSs, they mess up. So they make mistakes. Your time in the truck, you never used a GPS. Very, very rarely, mostly just for satellite view so I could see where the entrance is. Just because a lot of shippers may have four or five entrances and it may not be the truck one. Okay, so that's absolutely, absolutely melding old school with new school. <laughs> like you're not going to see that with most drivers most anyway. Not. We've become so reliant upon the GPS in our cell phones or tablets or whatever else we've got that that's, that's fascinating. Well, good for you, man. And hey, man. if anything else with your students, I'm assuming that at least now they know how to read a map. Most even, if they, definitely. even if they don't end up using it, and then they may have to, if technology gives out or whatever, they can take and look back and be like, hey, Brian taught me how to use one of these things. This is nope. great. It's better to have the skill and not need it than need it and not have it. Yeah. So how many years did you train? So I trained from 2018 to 2019. So I did a year of that prior to becoming an owner-operator with Knight. Okay. And at the time, our policy was owner-operators weren't allowed to train. Yeah. That policy's changed, hasn't it? it? It most definitely has. You wish it would have changed when you were there. I do. Yeah. Because I feel like the, I could have made a lot of improvement with drivers. I could have helped a lot more people. But at the same time, I like to believe that all of our driving associates and all of our trainers want the best for their students. Yeah. So you trained out of the love for training and helping uh, versus, hey, I can... I can get this trainee in my, my truck, get them trained up in a week, and we'll just team drive, and I can make as much money as I possibly can. Yeah, because, I mean, you yeah. most certainly can make extra money with it, but that shouldn't be your goal at the end of the day. So what, uh, what went into your thought process and decision to, be, to leave training and become an owner-op? So when I first came tonight, I had spoke with Ian and James Gangelhoff and JR at the time, and kind of expressed to them that this is something that I would like to do. And when I was going through orientation, 
At the time, it was Will, who used to be the uh, host here on the podcast. You know, I hired Will back. He was he was my DDM when I ran Phoenix Dry Turbo. Nope. Yeah, that little punk. Yeah, so him and uh, Corey at the time had told me, hey, we do have a lease purchase program if this is something that you might want to look into. So they sat me down with Deanna and Helbert, and we kind of mm-hmm. talked out all the works of it. And at the time when I first started with Knight, I wasn't 100% sure that was the route I wanted to go. But over time, seeing the industry evolve, getting a better relationship with Knight and realizing, hey, with Ian and Ronnie and James, the team that we had at Phoenix Reefer, I think I can make this work. It'll make me successful. Yeah. So so then I spoke with my fiance and we talked about it and said, hey, I mean, you know, my goal is to eventually have my own business and go from there. I have this opportunity and we kind of agreed upon it and took that step into getting a truck and it worked out. It, it worked out. Yeah. Was it, was it a little bit more difficult than what you were expecting? It, it's definitely more difficult. And I have to say now it's even more difficult than ever. It, looking back at it, Drivers now, if they would have had what we had even two to three years ago, the success rate, I would say, has probably dropped just because of how much the economy has taken a hit. Like fuel prices alone have more than tripled from what I was paying. Yeah. Yeah, that can that can be an issue. I know that they've got stuff in place now for those owner operators to help offset that. Most definitely. But uh, yeah, I definitely, I, I think it's absolutely something that every driver should at least look into if they if they meet the qualifications. Right. Not just anybody can do it. You have to be a, you got to be a runner because nope. they know that if you're gonna if you're gonna own or lease, you got to be running to make sure that you've got the money not just to put back into that truck, you know, into the maintenance nope. fund that you put into in case something goes wrong. Exactly. But then to also have that money that you're looking to make as a driver um, to put in your own pocket. So Yeah, and I'm not sure what the current stipulations are, uh, but anybody that's interested could reach out to Hector Galvin at the Phoenix Terminal. Yep. But at the time, it was you had to consistently be running 10,000 miles a month. You had to show that you were financially stable enough to do it, meeting the debt-to-income ratio. Yep. And you had to be able to maintain a smart drive score under 50. Yep. Good. So your smart drive score was under 50. Oh, always. It was rare was it if I 20, ever had anything. 20? Yeah. If okay. I ever had right. anything, it was very, very rare. That's good. I like it. I like it a lot. All yep. right. So you became an owner-op. You did that for a time. Did you do that during the pandemic? Yes, I did. Okay. So through that and all that good fun stuff, you then jump made a jump that not, not every driver does. They don't always jump out of that truck and get into doing something else, but you made a jump into the shops. Nope. Right? So walk us through your thought process there. How did that how did that opportunity even present itself to you? So I always try to make friends with people throughout the business. And part of that being as an owner operator, I need to have a good relationship with the shop. Okay. So I built a good relationship with the shop manager, who's Aaron Akers, yeah. and the current foreman at the time, which was Kyle Franklin. So Aaron was still there. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> he talked to you about his buff- his beloved Buffalo Bills. Oh, I, I don't know who's worse, <laughs> him or Ian, as far as football choices. Well, at least Ian's got a Super Bowl ring under his belt, whereas Buffalo <laughs> does nothing but lose. So, yeah, Aaron. 
He's something else, but <laughs> you, you either love or hate him. I mean, there's not I, a lot I of love, in between. I love Aaron Akers. <laughs> when I was running Phoenix, he was working as a part of the trucks, getting them distributed um, all yep. over the country to the different terminals. And I used to go in there and see him all the time. And I used to tell him, hey, you need to help me with this. I need a Kenworth here. I need to do this. Oh. And he'd always be like, Stabler, get out of my office. And that <laughs> high-pitched, squealy voice he gets. Well, he's the kind of guy, though, he'll he'll go to bat for you yeah. and stick up for you over anything. But he's going to let you know if you mess yeah. up. Aaron's, he's a great dude. I love Aaron. <laughs> so, so you got to know Aaron. You got to know some of the other shop guys. Yeah. And at the time, we were moving my fiance from Tennessee out to here trying to get a place set up and everything. And I have a son. He's three years old currently. And it became one of those things where it wasn't really fair to her to stay home with him all the time. So we both talked about it for a while and finally came to the agreement like, hey, it's best for me to come off the road and get something to wear and be home, try to help out more, things like that. Because when you're on the road – that's a sacrifice you're making is seeing your family. Yeah. And nobody wants to go without seeing their children grow up. Sure. So I'd spoken to Kyle and them about it and said, hey, you know, this is something I'd be interested in. I'm very mechanically inclined. I've got a lot of experience working on cars, working on equipment, different things of that nature. Is this something that might be a fit for you? And I just so happened to luck out at the time they did have a position open on the night shift. And it was... Pretty much go in, work on trailers, do our PMs to try to get our trailers up to standard so that our drivers aren't having issues on the road. And it just kind of transitioned from there and took off. Interesting. So you didn't have a ton of background, let's say, in like mechanical school or diesel mechanics. I never went to any diesel mechanic school. It's all been practical experience. Did you work and you never worked on it necessarily in the military as a part of your responsibilities? I did some, but it wasn't my dedicated job. So I was in EOD tech. And for us, we had to do a lot of our own repairs on our vehicles because we needed to be mission ready to go at any given time. And a lot of times the shops in the military are backed up for months, weeks, even years at a time to get basic repairs done. Sure. So we had to learn to do a lot of that ourselves. Is that that anything different than we've got here? In everyday life, as far as the backups, <laughs> I mean, it happens, but you know, everybody's going to try to do the best they right. can because we want what's best for our driving associates. If they're not making money, we're not making money in the shop, and the company's not making money as a whole. True. So you did the night shift working on trailers. Did they come to you, or did you go to them and say, "Hey, I'm ready for the next thing," or did they say, "Hey, Brian, so, we really like what you're doing on these trailers." Maybe we'll let you operate a little bit on the diesel engine that we're about to send out over the road. Yeah, so... That's a scary thought, Brian. Yeah, at the time, um, me and Kyle had discussed it and kind of sat down and figured out, okay, this is kind of my skill set. This is what I know. This is where I can improve. And we started transitioning me out of the trailers little by little. So I would do a couple trailers at the beginning of the shift, and then I'd work on a couple small repairs on trucks lights, brakes, tires, stuff like that. And then over time, as I was showing my progression, it moved into a lot more of the heavy diagnostic repairs, dealing with the check engine lights, tearing the DPF system apart, things of that nature. Self-taught man. Okay. And now you are currently what in the shop? So I'm currently the night shift shop foreman. And that honestly, it was pure being in the right place at the right time. Yeah. 
And is it, is it just the right place at the right time, or is it the right place, right time, but I'd proven myself worthy of it? So Aaron can tell anybody. In the beginning, me and him <laughs> didn't always see eye to eye. Shocker. <laughs> Shocker. So, so we butted heads quite a bit, and I kind of forced my way into the position. So it started off with our current – or the current um, – shift lead at the time he had moved to another shift at that point it kind of left us without a shift lead we brought a guy from day shift to come in and he showed no real intentions of wanting it so i just kind of powerhoused my way into it i showed him hey i want to learn this side of it but i can still handle my job working on the trucks and at that point i just showed i could do that asked questions tried to learn as much as i could and then at the time when Kyle was leaving, I happened to be the best fit for it because I was already forcing my way into that position. I was already trying <laughs> to do that, you know? Well played. Yeah, and it wasn't that I was trying to push him out of his job, but I've always had the mentality of you should know one position above you and one position below you in any career field you're in. That's great. That's, good. That's a good recommendation to all those listeners out yeah. there. Always know one up, one down. Exactly. And it's like I told Aaron, when when he offered me this position, I told him, I was like, okay, the next thing is I need to learn your job because one day I want your position. I'm not going to stay stagnant forever. Wait, Some people what might. What did Aaron say about that? He agrees. You did should you, always uh, want to strive for a higher position. Well, you make sure you talk to Steve Collins too. <laughs> He's got to know. Oh, most definitely. So you're on, you're in this. You're still doing the night shift then. Correct. Okay. What is the hours of that? Uh, it's two p.m. to midnight, Monday through Friday. It's not too bad. It's really not, and you get used to it over time. Yeah, that's not that bad. It was definitely an adjustment from coming off the road, though, because sure. especially on the, the reefer hours side. You're used to. But yeah. I, I, but I mean, if you're talking like a graveyard shift where you're going from like six at night to six in the morning or something like that, that's brutal. It is. But. Two to two to midnight. Yeah, eh, I can handle that. Yeah, it's really not bad. You get in your rhythm. You kind of figure things out. The first couple weeks is just that adjustment period, but you get the hang of it, and it's golden. So you get to see your kid and fiance a little bit more. A lot more. So you dated your fiance in Tennessee before Correct. coming out here. Yep. How long were you out here before you got her here? Was it right over a year, I believe. Okay, that's pretty. That's a long time. Most definitely. And just having communication over the phone, things like that, it's definitely rough, but we managed to make it work. And she was willing to follow you. I don't know why, but she All did. All the way from the green hills <laughs> of Tennessee to the dry brown desert. Well, so see, the thing is, you got to trick them. So the first time we came to Arizona, <laughs> we're coming down through Flagstaff, and she's like, oh, this is awesome, right? Now go and to was, sleep. And it was at sunset. So by the time we oh, hit Phoenix, she didn't yeah. really know. What was going on till the next morning? And that's when she finally got to see what Phoenix was. So then she wakes up, she steps outside, and she says, oh, dear, there's no trees anywhere. Yeah, because she used to ride with me on the truck when I was with Ari West and with the company that I first came out to Arizona with uh, before she went back to Tennessee. So she got to see it and kind of experience it prior to moving out here. doesn't make it that much easier, yeah. but at least she kind of got to see it. And I have to say, I mean, I'm thankful for it. I don't know why she followed me out here, but I'm thankful that she did, and it's definitely been a great decision. Where'd you meet her? Uh, we met in high school, actually. High school sweethearts. Uh, not exactly. What uh, year? 
uh, what, high school? Well, what year in high, like, were you a sophomore, junior when you met her? I was a senior. She was a freshman. Okay. Whoa, easy, big dog. That's a big jump. That might <laughs> Some might consider that creepy. Well, like I said, we didn't date in high school, so <laughs> we just met in high school. All right, fair enough. Hey, I, I met my wife in high school as well. Yeah. So, it, But she definitely <laughs> was not an underage high schooler. Like, I wasn't a senior looking at a seventh grader like, oh, I can't wait. Did you say, did you say seventh grade? Is that what you... Freshman year. Oh, freshman, so ninth grade. <laughs> yeah. I, I, allowed, I allowed for her to have a childhood before we started dating. And... <laughs> anyway. Yeah, so after high school, when I got out of the military, it, it was funny because hadn't talked to her or anything, and I didn't really talk to her in high school. I just happened to date one of her friends. Oh, okay. So kind of knew her through that sure. way, but we weren't really like acquaintances or anything. Okay. And there was one day, I, it was like a week or two after I got back from my last deployment and finished out processing out of the military. I was like, forget this. I'm hungry. I'm not cooking. I'm just going to order a pizza. And at the time, she was a pizza delivery driver for Papa John's. Oh, dear. So she showed up. She recognized me and my friend that were there. We started talking, and then it just kind of went from there. Wasn't there a movie about like a pizza delivery boy Probably. making house calls and stuff like that? Probably, but I think that's the wrong uh, wrong channel for yeah. this topic. Why, why do I why do I always <laughs> go to movies with everything? I don't know. I see too many movies. I think. Well, listen to our listeners. You heard it here first from Brian Davis. Find it when they're young, and just wait. I mean, you wait long enough as long as it's legal at the time, right? <laughs> hey, I'm totally teasing you. That's not that big of a gap. I'm just messing with you, brother. Oh no, it could be way worse. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad that I'm glad she made it out here and that you guys are happy. So you you call her your fiance. Mm-hmm. When's the big day? The, our listeners are dying to know <laughs> when's the big day for Brian Davis. So we haven't really set a date yet. It's just one of those things that kind of happened and life's kind of gotten the way because she's transitioned. She now works for night. And it's just kind of, we got to get everything settled in life, and then we can kind of figure that point out from there. Bro, let me give you some wisdom. How old are you? 26. You're 26 years old. Take it from a man that's 20 years older than you. You're never going to feel ready. You're never going to feel like you've got things situated. Marry the girl. I just went Dr. Phil on you right there. <laughs> I'm just kidding. You do whatever you want to do. I'm just totally messing with you. But no, we, I, um, I know that that's, uh, when, when life gets in the way, it's difficult sometimes when you want to plan something special and, and every girl's dream is that beautiful <laughs> white wedding where Prince Charming comes in on a horse. So make sure you rent a horse. And come in on it so that she's happy. Well, on the bright side, where we live, there's horse rentals like two miles away. So. <laughs> it's even better. Even nope. better. Works out perfect. That's great. Well, listen, I appreciate you coming in and talking about your career, your life, and even some of the stuff that's going on with you personally. I think it's, I think it's fantastic. I want to ask you a question, though. If you had every truck driver out there, and they were listening. We know that's not the case. But if, let's just say if they all were, what would Brian Davis tell them? What advice would you give them in trucking, in life, in career pathing? Give it all. Yeah. So a piece of advice that I was given many, many years ago, and 
not a lot of people hear this anymore, but with anything in life, this will transition to. But the day that you stop learning or you feel that you know everything is the day you need to stop or the day you need to hang up the keys in this industry, for example. Because that's the day that you're going to kill somebody. You're not paying attention. You're too overconfident. So always try to learn something new every day. It doesn't matter what it is, but try to learn something new every day. Well, you all heard it here first from Brian Davis, future shop manager of Phoenix, Arizona. Right? That's the goal. That's the goal. That's the goal. All right, last question. Do you like movies? Uh, somewhat. Gosh dang it. I'm such a movie geek. Have you seen any old school? Have you seen any truck driving movies? Oh, most definitely. Give me your favorite truck driving movie. And if you say Smoking the Bandit, I swear. <laughs> I'm just kidding. If you do, that's fine. No, I have to say my favorite truck driving movie is probably Convoy. Convoy. Nice. You're the first one on this show to say Convoy. Really? I love it, though. I personally, because I'm just a cheesy 80s movie guy, I'm a total cheese ball. It's over the top. You know what that is? I haven't seen that one. Gosh, darn it, Brian! You ruined everything. That's a that's a that's Sylvester Stallone. He drives a truck. He drives it to Vegas, sells his truck, gets all this money for his truck, and puts it all down on himself to win the national arm wrestling championship of the world. And he does it against a guy that's like six times his size. I mean, that sounds about right. I kind of figured when you said Sylvester Stallone, there had to be a ring involved. <laughs> That's perfect. <laughs> but anyways, Brian, thanks for coming on. We appreciate your time. And always remember, you ready for this? Over the top. All right, we'll talk to you later. I appreciate you guys having me. We enjoyed bringing this show to you, and we hope you had fun along the way, too. We're going 10-10 for now, but you can catch us on the side on YouTube. Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Beyond the Rig and Drive Night. Until next time, be safe out there and keep trucking.